Coming up on Stu Does America, the coronavirus continues to spread and everything is canceled. Every single thing. What? Now, is that we're not canceled, are we? Because, I mean, this show is way too important. Um, oh, wow, we actually aren't. That's amazing. I haven't canceled us yet. Huge mistake in my view. I would have done that first. But we'll give you all the latest updates. Speaking of coronavirus, maybe talk to your doctor instead of buying Alex Jones's all healing toothpaste. Just a suggestion. And Dana Lash drops by to talk about her extremely and increasingly relevant new book. Uh, I mean, it's called Grace Cancelled, and we all need a little grace at this moment. Don't forget to show me all the coronavirus tainted love I've shown you. Click the subscribe button, then throw us a little rating, maybe a little reviewing. Viewer's choice, but don't, uh, don't, don't forget to hit that little bell on YouTube so we bother you every single time we post a new video. You're welcome. And if you like a ton more content just like mine, only not quite as good as mine, actually maybe a little bit better than mine, but still pretty good. Uh, go to blazetv.com slash stew, subscribe to Blaze TV, and access all of the great shows on this network, and use the promo code stew, because that's how they know that you like this show. And I, uh, I like that as well, plus you'll save 10 bucks, not too shabby. If you're seeing me on your phone, or your tablet, your TV right now, it means I'm not canceled yet. But we'll see if that holds up after my COVID test comes back from the lab. Stu does America. Ah, yes, everyone. We've finally done it, America. Good job. We are going viral. Yeah, we did it. We're a successful business. We spent a, a decent amount of time on the coronavirus, COVID-19, the Wuhan virus, and the very dangerous Bieber fever over the past few weeks. And we've mainly taken it from a few different perspectives. Uh, Myth-busting some of the misinformation going around, how the virus affects the election and the politics surrounding it, the way the media has covered everything, and the effects on the economy. But there's something I want to spend a couple of minutes on tonight. If you watch this stupid show, you probably know that I'm not a guy who freaks out very easily. I don't panic about the latest media hype. The main thing I'm known for is being the guy who finishes every last drop of queso at the Mexican restaurant, even when there's a big large group and it's noticing that I'm taking tiny fragments of chips and scraping them against the dried cheese on the side of the bowl. And yes, I mean the outside of the bowl. I attack the outside with dried chips and queso, even when my wife is glaring at me. And that's not how you get this physique. It's not that you, you got to work. Got to do it like a thousand times in a row to get this physique. But my diet book is coming out soon. You can read about it there. Slightly behind that reputation, <laughs> it's my lot in life to try and step out of the hype wave and look at the issues of the day with data and a little intellectual sobriety, even if not with literal sobriety, because sometimes there's no better breakfast than frosted mini-wheats and a side of Woodford Reserve. Fight me. I mean, I know I'm right on this one. So I don't say this lightly. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. This coronavirus saga is the single craziest thing I have ever experienced. And I lived through the Y2K crisis. I mean, I was around for it. I think you could look at the science and the data and make a good case that, you know, there is a lot of hype at times around this stuff. If you live up north, it sort of feels like the mega giant snowstorm that's always threatened and then never comes. I, you know, I, I want to get back to that in a second because there's a reason why it feels that way. But the other way to look at it is to judge the seriousness by the way people are acting. Whether this hits America as harshly as some believe or not, the actions being taken to mitigate it are what make this so unprecedented. This is bonkers. First, China started acting just crazy, right? It just felt like they were acting crazy. They closed off a city of 11 million people and then entire regions. They're like welding people inside of apartment buildings. But, you know, it's China. Uh, you know, they do crazy stuff like that all the time. 
then it wasn't just China. I remember just a few weeks ago when Glenn mentioned uh, off the air that our cruise through history might be postponed because of all of this. And, and I, it just seemed hard to believe. I mean, thousands of you spent thousands of dollars to take a once-in-a-lifetime vacation for some reason with us. I mean, it's a terrible decision on your part. But now it seems completely obvious to move the dates, right? They canceled South by Southwest. If you don't currently have your hair up in a man bun, that might not seem like a big deal to you. But I mean, this is the biggest tech, music, and arts festival in the United States. The economic impact is estimated at over $350 million. People don't just cancel events like that. And then every day there's another story that would have seemed impossible a week before. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but Italy is basically closed. It's a country. They just closed the thing. It's basically a nation of Bennigan's restaurants. One day you show up and you're downing Monte Cristo sandwiches. The next day you're trying to figure out what to do with the closet full of green polo shirts and aprons. And it's not just Italy. India has essentially self-quarantined as a nation. All of the NCAA conference tournaments have been canceled. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe it's just me. Seems like a bunch of sweaty dudes running into each other might be a bit of a hazard. It's already been announced that all of Power Five conferences have canceled their conference tournaments. And now the big one, the big one, the NCAA tournament, it's canceled. I also went to a Dallas Mavericks game just the other day. It was uh, this past Sunday. First, you, you can't go. The first thing you need to know, you can't go three minutes and 14 seconds at the end of a game without scoring and expect to win. That doesn't happen. OK, but the game was packed. No real difference than any other game I've been to. Now, the entire season is suspended for every team until further notice. I mean, if you don't think that was surprising, watch Mark Cuban learn about it on his phone. And that's where the hiatus will start. You could see right here the reaction from Mark Cuban <laughs> when he got the news looking at his phone. And then he went and started to discuss it with members of the Mavericks organization on their bench. Why did this happen? One player on Oklahoma City tested positive for coronavirus. The team found out when all the fans were at the game and it was about to start. They, the players just walked off the court, and the PA announcer was left to tell the fans. And fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. And take your time in leaving the arena tonight and do so in an orderly fashion. Thank you for coming out tonight. We are all safe. And you can visit OKCThunder.com for updates on upcoming. I mean, can you imagine being, you're all safe. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Just, 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 just leave. I know you paid for tickets and you're here. Go home. Don't worry. I'm sure they'll cover the parking for you. The player that tested positive, Rudy Gobert, was mocking the whole situation just a few days before by putting his hands all over reporters' microphones to jokingly spread germs and also literally spread germs. Oops, uh, probably not the best joke. Now his teammate, Donovan Mitchell, has tested positive as well. Hearing about the positive test, the NHL suspended its season indefinitely. And Major League Baseball has pretty much followed suit. They've delayed the, they've delayed, uh, the beginning of the season and canceled spring training. The Boston Marathon has been canceled. I could go on and on and on. The U.S. Capitol, Senate, and House office buildings are closed along with the White House and the Supreme Court. Coachella is postponed. The Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards delayed. Jerry Seinfeld canceled his performances 
all Broadway shows are canceled. What is going on? Is this just an out of control hype train? One thing I've heard from many on the right is that this is all being ginned up to hurt the president. And honestly, living through the past few years, that is an understandable instinct. Yes, the media is going to use this crisis to injure Trump. That is going to happen. It will continue to happen. But this is just not that simple. Italy doesn't shut down Italy to hurt Donald Trump. India doesn't shut down India to hurt Donald Trump. India loves Trump more than Melania does. Beyond that, Trump himself is banning most travel between here and Europe. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. All right. I mean, point is, Trump is assigning massive resources to this. He's put his VP in charge. He's doing Oval Office addresses, banning travel. This administration knows this is a big deal. He's not hyping this issue to hurt his own presidency. None of this changes anything else we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. I mean, you're still probably not going to die from coronavirus, but you'll probably get it eventually. The case fatality rate probably won't wind up anywhere near 3.4%. It'll be much lower, but it's very contagious. And if we don't have a vaccine or any treatments for it yet, this doesn't end with all of us praying that things could be as calm and sensible as the walking dead, but it's not going to be pretty. If you look at China, you can make a kind of optimistic case, considering there's 1.3 billion people there, many living in very densely populated environments. 80,000 cases doesn't seem that bad. But this is the problem. The scientists do believe that we can mitigate the worst circumstances in the United States. Some countries have done it. However, the places that are having success at stopping the spread are finding that success only after they implement the craziest stuff, restrictions that members of a free society are not used to. To many people, it feels like these mass cancellations, closing colleges and banning travel are so extreme because the numbers don't add up. It feels premature. However, this has been the only successful way of stopping the spread so far. Let me give you a quick picture of where we are and where we're heading. This is a chart of coronavirus cases outside of China. For those of you listening on audio, it's basically Al Gore's dream chart. I mean, it's even more impressive than a heavily manipulated hockey stick. When you break it down country by country, you see massive spikes with South Korea, Italy and Iran. Now, speaking of Iran, uh, there are new satellite pictures that seem seem to indicate massive graves being created for victims. Uh, It's not a never a good thing in Iran. You can see them from space, which means either they're really big or you have a great zoom lens on your camera. So back to the corona cases outside of uh, China. If you zoom in a little bit more, you get more hockey sticks, this time including the good old U.S. of A., kind of in the middle of the pack there. Uh, We're still relatively early on this really awful roller coaster that goes straight up. And if China's experience is any indication, Something very weird is about to happen, and you should prepare yourself for it. It's probably necessary, but we are going to hate it. This, this is what's next for us. For those on podcasts, this chart shows China's official cases exploding in number around January 22nd, and then a hardcore lockdown going to affect over the next few days. But when China had a couple of hundred uh, official cases, they know now 
that they really had 10 times that amount in cases they wouldn't recognize until much later. The good news is after the lockdown or after the restrictions, new cases dropped almost instantly. But there is an incredibly painful couple of weeks after that where the official cases are going up. It's going to look like all of these really drastic measures are failing. And unlike China, we aren't going to start executing anyone who gets pissed off and tweets something, which is not a good policy. If you want to build a great wall and you don't mind having a bunch of skeletons being inside later on, you can be pretty efficient with an authoritarian government. Same thing goes for fighting a virus like this. Our freedoms are worth every bit of risk that comes along with this. But we do need to protect those freedoms by doing everything we can to take this seriously and stop the spread as fast as possible. The only other time in my life that I can remember anything like this is 9-11. But to compare, uh, you know, baseball was delayed for, what, six days after 9-11? We have multiple major leagues that have just canceled their seasons or delayed them indefinitely. There have been a lot of comparisons to the flu, and it seems like there's like two available opinions. Either it's, "Ah, it's no big deal, it's like the flu. Or on the other side, you have, hey, it's not like the flu, it is a big deal. In reality, the flu is a freaking big deal. It kills 50,000 people every single year just in this country alone. It's, I think, 650,000 worldwide. I shudder every time someone says, oh, well, it's only people in their 70s and 80s that are dying. Well, those are our parents. Those are our grandparents. It might be you. And if life in the womb is important, so are they. This is a big freaking deal. Remember, the flu we know today hasn't always looked like it does today. In fact, you may have heard that year one of the flu really, really sucked. So did year two. They wrote a lot of books about it. We had no vaccines, we had no treatment, and it killed a third of the population. This is year 102 of that flu, and it still sucks. This is year one of COVID-19. We've improved our health system quite a bit, obviously, since back in the day. So I don't think one third of the planet is going to die. But we better be big boys and girls and realize that this is not a Donald Trump story. This is not solely a function of media hype either. There's real danger here. And we need to pray for our families and our friends and our government. Because if we screw this one up, the price we pay cannot be higher. Well, you're going to be very, very close to your home very soon, possibly for a very long time. You know, if you're going to have to be locked inside your home, you might as well lock up that equity while you're at it. Because when you have a home, you do this thing where you pay the mortgage every month and you build up some equity, you have a nice down payment that goes in there. And hopefully the value value of the house goes up a little bit and you build that equity. And that equity can be there for you in, let's say, a tough economic time like we might be facing here. Uh, Dow was down over 2,000 points again today. This is insane. Uh, You want to make sure that equity is there for you when you need it. Uh, But if you have a case of home title fraud, it's not going to be there because some thief can grab onto your equity. They can take it down. They can borrow against your home uh, when they can just forge the title. This is one of those things where a shady lender can put you out of touch with your own home's equity, your own retirement, your own American dream. No insurance or bank protects you, but Home Title Lock does. You could already be a victim of home title fraud and not even know it. Sometimes it takes six months, a year to even figure out that you're a victim. Register your home now with HomeTitleLock.com and enter Stu for one month of free protection. Again, enter Stu for one month of free protection. And that's how they know that you like this stupid show 
You want the free protection. You want to protect your equity. You got to do it all at Home Title Lock. The code is Stu. HomeTitleLock.com. It's HomeTitleLock.com. Code Stu. So excited to have my friend Dana Lash on the program. She is, of course, the host of the number one nationally syndicated female talk radio host in the entire country, Dana Show. Uh, her new book is Grace Cancelled, How Outrage is Destroying Lives, Ending Debate, and Endangering Democracy. And you may not know this, but she also has her debut pop album coming out this week. It's called Lullabies for Liberal Losers. And I'm expecting it to go platinum for sure. Dana, welcome to the program. Oh, Stu, it's so good to be with you. And thank you so much for, for mentioning the CD that you also produced. I, I did. So don't forget to give yourself a credit. I do have a freestyle rap track on it, too. We should, we should mention that just for full disclosure for the audience. Yeah. Yes. It's fantastic. And I really appreciated Lil Wayne coming by and giving everyone some some chains. It was very, very nice. Um, I am in a I got a twilight zone today. I, I, I just I I'm on. I want to get to your book here in a second, but I'm on Twitter and I'm, I'm in an unhealthy Twitter loop of I just keep refreshing and watching new things get canceled over and over and over and over again. Uh, this this coronavirus thing is like nothing I've ever experienced, I think, in my entire life. It's so bizarre. It is one of the bizarrest. I don't even I don't know how to describe it, because like you, I'm like watching all of this stuff happen. And I was telling you just a little bit ago before we went on air that, you know, when you first hear the tornado siren and that means the tornado's coming, like you're going to get blown around in maybe a minute or so, a couple mm-hmm. minutes. And it feels like a very slow motion version of that. Like the tornado siren is going off right now and everybody's just sort of in slow-mo. It's like the matrix. Everything slows down and everyone's freaking out and they're going to Costco and they're buying up all the toilet paper for some reason. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that this thing was an upper respiratory virus. I did not realize that. I mean, people were going to have the runs or something. I don't know why people need that much toilet paper. And it led me to actually look up how many rolls a person is supposed to use per week, which is knowledge nobody needs to know. Um, but wait, wait, all the stores you, are. Big you of, can't say that and yeah, not give us the answer. It's actually and I think this is ex- I think this is actually exorbitant. It's it's two rolls or a roll and a half a week per person. Now I'm like, OK, is that like the single regular roll? Is it one or two ply? Is it quilted? Is it the double roll like Angel Soft kind of does where it's so massive it barely fits on the toilet paper roll? I don't know. So I'm made of questions. You're, you're definitely not uh, using one or two squares with that. That's 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 a lot of squares I feel like you're using to get through a, a, a roll and a half yeah. a week is impressive. Uh, it is. Um, so <laughs> you actually go into some pretty unhealthy Twitter habits as well in your new book. Mm. Um, and it's pretty fascinating. I think you've done something that I've never seen in any book in my entire life, which is when someone comes out and they do this big project and they write a book, they usually start talking about the fact that they're excited to write it. I'm thrilled to write this. I'm very excited to get this message out. You, on the other hand, go into great detail on how writing this book is essentially making you miserable. Yeah. No, I um, about two chapters in, I... I mean, it was like the premise of this book was was being tested. And then my oldest son graduates from high school and he goes to college and I'm 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 dealing with infighting between a couple of different organizations and myself and others are just sort of standing there watching helplessly because we can't do anything. (laughs) And I wanted to I actually thought about calling up my publisher, Regnery, and just saying, look, uh, we're going to drop this. I'm going to burn it all down with a tell all that I'm going to fire (laughs) off through a slingshot into the stratosphere and I will let the fire from the 
burning bridges light my path. And that's kind of how I wanted to, to go. But I thought, no, it probably means I need to write this book all the more. And I fight with myself throughout this, this entire book. I mean, I, I, the intro I wrote, when I was super mad and I really didn't want to do this book anymore. And I felt like I had committed to it and I, I had fought for this book. Publishers were wanting me to write a big bomb throwing, I don't know what. Uh, and I fought for this book because a lot of people, a lot of people were scared of it. They were like, well, Grace isn't very shocking. And I would always reply, then you have not like seen me on social media or any of the stuff I or a number of other people have to deal with every single day because it is absolutely a choice. One that I freely admit I don't want to make. I don't <laughs> like the fact that I have to make it. And I sometimes resent the fact that I should make that choice because it's so much more fun whipping off your flip-flop and slapping somebody upside the head than it is to just to simply and genuinely say god bless yeah so yeah, yeah. it really is it's it's a it's the difficult choice right i mean i think every time i get on twitter or i get there's some big argument going on your instinct is to just fight back and say whatever the meanest thing you can say to, to hurt their feelings or or slam them and make them look stupid and there is that right. sort of, uh, you know, and the book is you go into depth about this in, in several different ways that I want to go through. But like you have this part where you talk about um, you don't have to attend every fight that uh, you're, you're I can't remember exactly what you phrased it, but every you don't have to, right, to which you're invited to which you're invited. So, that's a, and it's a great yeah. way of thinking about that, because we all are uh, unintentionally invited to fight after fight after fight. How do you apply grace when you're in the middle of that environment? That's a great question because it's fun. I mean, that's the, it's easier to just want to crush someone. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just, I'm very, I mean, it really is. And, yeah. and it's, and it's a lot more fun and it's actually rewarded by society because that's what gets the clicks. That's what gets the views. It gets the likes. It gets all of that, the back padding that social media can offer, but it really doesn't advance the ball down the field. And isn't that what this is all about? I mean, we're, we're trying to make a play and we're trying to do something good for, for the issue that we're, we're advocating for. But that, that doesn't really do it. It doesn't persuade anyone. I think it just further drives people to these polar opposites with this binary tribalism. And so, I mean, I could fight with people every single day on Twitter if I wanted to. I mean, I could just sit on Twitter. And you could too, Stu, you know this. You could sit on Twitter and argue with every single person every single day. And it, I, I feel like there are some fights worth having, but if it's not advancing the cause or serving the purpose of something greater, then you're just, you're wasting your time and, and your energy on it. And the fact that I am telling anyone this should scare the ever-loving hell out of people. <laughs> the fact that I am telling you this, I mean, I have jumped off stages at rallies before to get into fisticuffs with people. <laughs> so when I'm telling people to choose grace, you know, that's like Colonel Sanders going, I think I fried too much chicken. You know, let's maybe do something different. <laughs> oh, vegan. Well, yeah, he's, and, and they're going to come out with some vegan chicken, I'm sure, soon. So everybody else is. So I'm oh, sure yeah, that's, that's, that's happening right around the corner. So why? Let me ask you this data. Why? I mean, you're right. You could do this all day. You could. I mean, you know, it's a it's a profitable genre to go on Twitter and slam people. You could do that all day long. You're really freaking good at it. Um, but you're choosing to go the other direction. Why? Yeah, I well, there's a couple of things that that led into it. And I think the biggest turnaround was when uh, the Parkland Town Hall happened and Parkland that this was I mean, it was barely a week after the massacre had taken place. And I was told I worked with an organization uh, that I am no longer with and I represented membership and they 
wanted to have a voice there. They didn't want it to be like other televised events where they were going to be misrepresented and really maligned. So I found out that I was going on a Tuesday and I found out that I was going to be on stage that Wednesday. And, you know, I thought it was going to be like a lot of the other town halls that I've seen where the audience all is essentially on the stage in a circle. But then when I got there, I was told by producers that I was actually going to be sitting with the sheriff of Broward County at the time, Scott Israel, and that I would be I would be talking and answering questions. And I thought, OK, well, I knew it was going to be an ambush in the in the beginning, mm-hmm. but it was going to be a whole new level. And uh, I realized that this was not the time for it. I mean, I legitimately spent it was the longest prayer of my life. I don't know if that's like a sad thing to, uh, to admit, like when you're 40, that that's like the longest prayer that you ever had. Um, but when I was flying from Dallas to uh, d- down to Florida, the entire time I spent in prayer because I thought I am the wrong person to walk into this arena. I am. The, I mean, I I'll walk into a legit like a literal fighting ring. I'm not the I'm not the right person to walk into this. And I was had never felt calmer in my entire life. And there and I, I get into the lead up into it and how they basically held a political rally for an hour before the cameras even started. And I just realized when I stepped on the stage that there were a bunch of hurting people in the room that had just been subjected to a political rally and rah-rah speeches from Scott Israel, who immediately started in on me even before this all started. And somebody needed to be the adult. Somebody had to be the adult in the room. And Jake Tapper had told me that they had already he had already lost control of the room. And it was just basic. I got the impression from him that it, he wasn't really eager to be in this position. And it was just one of those unspoken. Got to you got to do what you got to do. And um, it, there were a lot of people who weren't from that community that were there that I think were the, the angriest because everyone that I saw that had suffered loss and that was in that community could barely speak. These were people who were bawling. There was a woman who stood up and was reading a letter about her daughter. And I watched as a cameraman ran in front of her, knelt down, and what I assumed zoomed in on her face to exploit her pain. And I didn't react to it at the time, but that stuck with me. I reacted to it the next morning at CPAC when I saw CNN's cameras at the back of the room and I went off cuff. But when I was there, just somebody needed to be the grown up in the room. Someone needed to be the mom, the parent. And um, I realized after I came home and after I found out that my kids had, had watched everything that happened, my oldest son, who is interested in politics, but the legal aspect of it, had I didn't want his heart to be hardened by the hatred that he saw. And I didn't want him to think that however hateful someone acts, that's going to determine you have to you have to show that much or greater hate to be considered the winner, because that's how society views everything is winning or losing. And so I wanted him to see an overabundance of kindness as a way to just snuff out all of the hatred. And. I, I did not want him to grow up to be so polarized that he was beyond the reach of reason or my youngest son or any other kid, all their friends that were watching. And so ultimately that was kind of, that was sort of the germination for it. And then later on, I read an interview that Norm Macdonald had given, I think it was to Vanity Fair, where he was talking about Roseanne Barr and redemption. And he said, typically in the past, people would apologize and then they would say, sorry, they would, they would be contrite. They would say, sorry, and everything would move on. And now people don't do that anymore. Mm. And he's right because we have a society that encourages the, uh, no redemption, no forgiveness. You are only as good as your worst moment and that you are irredeemable and there, and no grace for anyone. And so that those two things together 
basically were the ideas for this book. Yeah, and, and you know, and I want to get into the cancel culture here thing on, in, in just a second. Um, on, on the CNN event, it was one of the most disgraceful things I've ever seen done by a media company. Um, and uh, I, I, if you, in the book, Dana goes into uh, all the details of the security stuff and, and everything that happened afterwards. And I will say this, and I said this to you off the air, Dana, but um, you know, that, that moment was, was a real moment for American society. Your Second Amendment uh, rights were on the verge of being lost in a major way. And Dana stood up there in the middle of an impossible crowd against, uh, you know, sharks in the media and a sheriff who the next day basically was proved to be a total charlatan and stood up for your rights. That was a huge moment. And I, I thank you for it again. I, I did it before off the air, but that was an incredibly brave thing you did there. And you protected our rights in a way that, you know, I'll sit here and blab on shows for the rest of my life and do, make no difference whatsoever. That You made a real difference that night. Oh, well, I appreciate you saying that. And I, and I could, I, and I honestly think I could tell that other people were saying prayers too, because I, and I, and I've told friends of mine who, you know, they may not be people of faith. I'm like, if you've ever doubted that, that, the existence of God, the fact that I was the calmest that I've ever been in my life. Mm. And I was so aware of everything that happened in that arena that I'm right there. There's, there's your answer. Cause you know me, I, I mean, for crying <laughs> out loud, I mean, it's it, come on, but that was, that was, um, that was a, a definite God thing. And I told my husband who uh, was there with me, he sat next to Ted Deutsch, oh. which I discussed in the book, <laughs> but I told him, I said, look, this is, this is going to be a brawl, maybe even literally. And no matter what happens, if I take a hit, like physically, if I am spit on, you cannot react. No matter what happens, you cannot react. And I think that was the hardest thing that that he's ever had to do. And I, because I couldn't imagine, there's no way I'd be watching my husband up on stage and people, lawmakers sitting next to him, calling them names from under their breath and everything. There's no way that I would be able to, <laughs> to endure that. And he did. So that was a lot of strength. <laughs> well, luckily, Chris Lash, always under perfect control. We know that. Um, we'll uh, come back with Dana in just a second. The book is Grace Cancelled. Uh, it's Data Lash, how, how Outrage is Destroying Lives, Ending Debate, and Endangering Democracy. Back in a second. Back with Dana Lash. The book is Grace Cancelled, How Outrage is Destroying Lives, Ending Debate, and Endangering Democracy. Um, Dana, you go through, you have so many great uh, topics in here. You go through a real long litany of all the left-wing violence that we've seen uh, throughout our society recently. But I want to I want to kind of zero in on sort of the cancel culture uh, debate and the way not only uh, it should be handled, but how we as conservatives handle it. Um, you, you talk about it a lot in the book, and, and I think conservatives at least, I think, agree that it's, a bad practice, right? When someone says something a little bit out of step uh, that we go and we go fire them and we protest them right. and we boycott them. At least that's how I feel. I, I, I really don't like that. But when we get into these moments where it's not just our side, but it's the other side, someone on the left who does something, someone we don't agree with politically, they are a little bit out of step and sometimes they get it too because you're never woke enough. Uh, and sometimes they get the heat too. Sometimes they get it from the right. Sometimes they get it from the further left. Is it our job to step up in those moments and speak up for them, even though we they would never speak up for us? Yeah, I think for the sake of consistency, uh, one of the I think really the the underlying strength of a principle is that that principle can be kept no matter what the circumstances are. The circumstances may change and, and can change and do change, but the principle shouldn't. 
And I think that's the mark of a, of a true principal. And I, I get into a couple of different examples in there. I, I defended Keith Olbermann when he was at MSNBC because it was discovered that he had donated to a number of Democrats. And apparently the network thought that was a bridge too far from his editorializing. <laughs> that's what you want to call it right. on his Keith Olbermann program. And they suspended him for, I think it was something like two weeks. They suspended him. And I spoke up for him because I thought at least he's being honest. At least he's being honest about his bias, whereas everyone else likes to think that uh, American viewers are too stupid to notice the super, super far partisan left ideology that is being masqueraded around as legitimate, just basic facts reporting. And I also give the example of what happened with Chick-fil-A, the very first nationwide I guess, protest or boycott of Chick-fil-A. This was back in, I think, 2009, 2010. And it was the very first time that, uh, that I think that franchise had been targeted. And it was because Dan Cathy privately had his own views as a person of faith on biblical marriage. And that was not okay because it's not enough to just believe it for yourself privately. It's the fact that you exist with that opinion in your head. And so there were a bunch of activists, as you remember, they targeted Chick-fil-A and they were going up and asking, which I thought was kind of weird. Uh, they were asking Chick-fil-A restaurants for a cup of water. You know, if your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. And they were trying to see if Chick-fil-A would fulfill that, which of course they did. Mm -hmm. And there was one man in particular, and this was in Arizona, his name's Adam. And he recorded himself on his phone, driving up through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and speaking with a, a woman who worked there who was running the drive-thru named Rachel. He asked for his water and she was, you know, my pleasure, very friendly, the you know, typical, super awesome and sweet Chick-fil-A employee. And then he began to verbally berate, he berated her. He was so cruel to her and he was insulting her line of work. He, he was insulting her and she was very calm, but you could see every single time he insulted her, it just, it was an invisible cut, another cut, another cut. And her smile became something that she was really working to maintain. And you could see the pain in her eyes. And he applauded himself. He drove away, pu published that, that video on YouTube. And then the internet does, the internet did what it does, and everyone reacted, thought his behavior was horrible. He lost his job, he ended up on food stamps. He tried to issue a mea culpa in a video. And people like me, I, you know, I fully admit it. I was glad. I thought, this is schadenfreude. This is, this is, I'm perfectly happy with this outcome. Until I saw an interview with her that she had given uh, with, uh, I think it, she had spoken with Stuart Varney. And Stuart Varney had congratulated her on her ability to maintain her composure. It was the one and only interview she ever gave. She did not seek this out and she never sought it out again. And she had her fiance sitting next to her, mic'd up just for emotional support. He didn't even say a word. Mm. And when Stuart was praising her behavior and telling her that, that you know, you're a hero, uh, she stopped and, and she said, I'm not a hero. I'm, I'm just a, a service worker. And I thought that is the most understated thing I've ever heard especially in the past 10 years. And she said, I just hope that I would like for people to, to treat him with the same respect I did that day. I'm like, that's amazing that she yeah. had that response. And I was so convicted in that moment. I thought, oh my gosh, we were all him and we should have been her. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great, because I remember that video and it, it, I had the same reaction. You know, and, and at some level, that's like the fun way to go. You know, it feels fun to be able to be like, yes, that guy got what he what he you know was coming to him. Um, and you kind of go over this in, in a chapter called The Death of Redemption. Uh, you, you mentioned Kevin Harden here, which I think is a great example of it as well, um, because 
what is the goal of criticism of a bad moment of someone, right? Is the, is the criticism just for you to celebrate and feel good about yourself? Or is it to maybe change the mind? With Kevin Hart, here's a situation where, you know, the, the, the um, gay activists had said, look, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's anti-gay and he's a bad guy. And so in theory, like the goal would be to make him more friendly to their cause, to be more accepting or whatever. But he had already accomplished that many times. He'd already admitted to this and gone over that. Their goal didn't seem to be redemption. It just seemed to be, you know, I don't know, a scalp or, a, you know, a head ripped yeah. off of him. And it, it, I, what is the purpose of all of this? That's the million dollar question, because as you said, you know, if, if someone makes an error, the goal is to convince them, convince the individual of the error of their ways and, and convince them to see this is how you should behave or this is how you, you should react. But it kind of goes a, a little bit beyond that even because now it's this is what you should think and this is what you should believe and anything else is, is less than acceptable. But with Kevin Hart, uh, he had said he was sorry. He had demonstrated that he was contrite and he was also discussing how times have changed and people don't say uh, jo- humor has even changed to an extent. And it wasn't about changing hearts and minds. It was about destruction. Mm. It, it was about revenge. It was just about this, uh, the de- destroying someone and destroying their family. And I think and you touched on it there. In many instances, it's not about the issue. The issue really isn't the important thing. I think the issue is people flexing and wanting to look hardcore and trying to show off this fake strength by the number of people they can destroy. And Kevin Hart was almost one of those. And Ellen DeGeneres, you know, st- stood up for him. And the all of these activists went after Ellen DeGeneres, you know, the, a woman who lost her television show when her sexuality was discovered. And for crying out loud, I mean, why in the world go after Ellen DeGeneres just because she's saying we don't agree? We probably don't I'm not even agree on 80, 90 percent of things. But that doesn't mean you can't be civil and 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 treat people like people instead of issues. And so ultimately, I think that's what this is. I think that there are so many there are so many people who conflate humans and issues that they strip an individual of their humanity and they justify their hatred and in some instances their violence because they're so opposed themselves to a particular issue. It's why they, that's why the resistance tries to say that certain thoughts are violent or speech is violent to justify their physical violence towards someone. And these people betray their, all of the people who engage in this, they betray the concern they claim to have for an issue because they allow their their passion to destroy become greater than the issue for which they advocate. Mm. Dana Lash, you can uh, get her on the radio nationwide, The Dana Show, of course, watch her on the first. And of course, Dana Lash, Grace Cancelled, How Outrage is Destroying Lives, Ending Debate, and Endangering Democracy. Dana, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, Stu. So good to see you. Okay, back in a second. The FDA has uh, a little bit upset a bunch of products online that are making all sorts of fake claims about COVID-19. The latest example of this uh, is Alex Jones, who, if you remember, is kind of a, uh, known as a conspiracy theorist a little bit. Um, he has, uh, has some products of varying quality uh, that he is uh, selling online, including a new toothpaste. Now, I know you want your teeth to be cleaned. There's my feet, by the way. Uh, (laughs) I know you want your teeth to be cleaned. Everybody does. Everyone needs to clean their teeth. 
But wouldn't you rather do it with nano silver infused toothpaste? Um, because as Alex Jones pointed out, the patented nano silver we have, the Pentagon has come out and documented and Homeland Security has said this stuff kills the whole SARS Corona family at point blank range. They're still discounted despite all hell breaking loose. That's an impressive uh, claim and uh, apparently not true according to the FDA and pretty much everybody else. But hey, at least he's discounted them. Um, a lot of people are you know, right now trying to sell a lot of shady products that are related to the COVID-19 thing. And that is just not cool. It's not right. This is a serious issue. Uh, by the way, uh, I wanted to tell you that we do have one exception to that. Of course, this, uh, this T-shirt that says, sorry, can't make it self-quarantined. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to cure COVID-19. I'm going to guarantee you that it's going to cure COVID-19. Okay, FDA, come and get me. No, I'm only kidding. It's not going to do anything for you on that one. You're an idiot, though, if you thought it would. <clears throat> Let me give you this real quick. Speaking of idiots, Jim Acosta was on T CNN, and whenever he speaks, he proves he's an idiot. Here's an example. Uh, the president referred to the coronavirus as a, quote, foreign virus. Uh, that, that, I think, was interesting because, as I was talking to sources earlier this evening, one of the points that the president wanted to make tonight, wanted to get across to Americans, is that this virus did not start here, uh, but that they're dealing with it. Now, why the president would uh, go as far as to describe it as a foreign virus, that is something we'll also be asking mm -hmm. questions about. But it, it should be pointed out that Stephen Miller, uh, who is a, an immigration hardliner, who advises the president, is uh, one of his top domestic policy advisors and speechwriters, right. uh, was a driving force in writing this speech. And I right. think it's going to smack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of a xenophobia, right. uh, to use that kind of term in this speech, Chris. Uh, this is so frustrating because this is not the biggest issue attack, uh, attached to the COVID-19 thing. We, I mean, listen to the monologue today. We went through it. It's a serious issue. But it is really frustrating to have these media members get all high and mighty about why you can't say where this one particular disease came from. It came from China. It came from Wuhan. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean the Chinese people are responsible for it. They got nothing to do with that. The Chinese government did a really bad job. They hid the disease initially and, and probably caused the outbreak to be a lot worse. But that, that's not the, first of all, it's not the Chinese people. It's the government. Uh, second of all, it's just ridiculous. This is what we do with diseases. We say where they're from. In fact, the mainstream media used to realize that they did this all the time. The Wuhan coronavirus has now surpassed the 2003 SARS outbreak. The first U.S. case of Chinese coronavirus was confirmed at her one of her hospitals. Inside that building is the world's first lab-grown copy of the Wuhan coronavirus outside mainland China. The Chinese coronavirus death toll has jumped to at least 26 people. The death toll from the Wuhan coronavirus spiked today. The Chinese virus, the coronavirus that is worrying the whole world. This comes as the Chinese coronavirus death toll has jumped to at least 26 people and sickened at least 835 people. Every time you think it can't get any worse, it just gets worse. Back in a second. Thanks for taking the time to click subscribe wherever you are and click the bell on YouTube. Get those notifications coming to you. And blazetv.com slash stew is the place to go. Use the promo code stew. That's how they know that you like this stupid show. Makes me happy. Makes you happy. You get great programming. You get 10 bucks off. Why not do it? Blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. See you tomorrow.